Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. Stephanie Strumberger is here, licensed clinical counselor who runs the emergency department at Behavioral Health, as well as oversees the intensive patient outpatient program at Northwestern Medicine Woodstock Hospital. That's a long title, Stephanie, but welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Steve. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here, and I think important that we talk about this topic. You know, I was talking about this with someone, I don't remember who, but I was, and and we were talking about how if you and I, Stephanie, 10 years ago were to be having this conversation, first of all, we probably wouldn't be, because so much was kind of hidden under the rug back then. And today we now know it is best for our mental health, mental health of family members, those who love us, to talk about this issue. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. I think 10 years ago, you're absolutely right, Steve, that we wouldn't talk about it because psychiatry, psychology in general is still in its adolescence. And it was considered years ago to be, you know, that people were just you know, something was off, something was wrong. But now we're seeing in schools where people are talking about how, you know, mental health is mental wellness is just as important as physical wellness. So it's becoming something that we all need to pay attention to. You know, uh, there was, there's, there's a little off the topic you and I had planned to talk about, it, but it occurs to me, by the way, our phone number 312-981-7200. You are more than welcome, of course, to participate, as you are for all of our conversations. You can text or call. Years ago, whenever it was that I went to primary school, you didn't see kids with ADHD and and those sorts of things. Is it because it was underdiagnosed or because our kids today actually have this more often? I think the reason, honestly, Steve, is because people were still trying to figure out. Um, I think back when I started uh, practicing in mental health, I noticed that in my generation, a lot of kids were diagnosed with ADHD. And then they started backing off a little bit and saying, well, no, some of it's just kids being kids. Um, and so I think we're all still trying to work together to figure out what this is. And more importantly, I think to your point from earlier, we're just trying to bring it out into the light and reduce the stigma around mental illness, because there's still this belief that if you have a mental illness, there's something quote unquote wrong with you. However, if you look at the research, most people struggle with some kind of depression, anxiety, ADHD, um, you know, some kind of something. Um, And so the more you talk about it, like you said, the more support that can be provided. So you just said most people. So you're walking down the street, and it's a busy street, and there's 100 people coming your way. Most of those people are likely to have something that you just rattled off? I would imagine so, um, because we all struggle with, and because a lot of mental illness is on a spectrum. So, you know, whether it's uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have persistent and severe mental illness, um, like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. But I think now that we're trying to bring things into the light, we're seeing more and more people who are coming out of the of the darkness and saying, hey, wait a minute, I can relate to that. I've struggled with that, too. Um, 
And I think it's just something that has been hidden for so long and people are seeking help. Um, And it could be as simple as maybe it's grief, which isn't a mental health diagnosis per se, but it's something that would benefit from counseling. Um, So there's a lot of things that we all at minimum struggle with um, that could use support. Why is it that this time of year... I mean, people do interviews a lot about this topic at this time of year, and there's a reason for that. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So I think the reason that this time of year is hard is it's multifaceted. I think some of it is because, like you had referenced earlier, the shorter days, it's darker, um, you know, our bodies and our minds just get kind of, ugh, it's just kind of in a funk. Um, I also think you know, the commercialization, especially from American culture, to be happy and cheerful. We're all supposed to be happy during the holidays. But that's a lot of pressure because if somebody is struggling either A, with a mental illness or somebody has lost a loved one, which all of us have struggled with losing grandparents or parents or brothers, sisters, spouses, children, um, or even family conflict, family splitting, um, there may be this pressure to be happy. Um, But not everybody is happy in the holidays. And I think sometimes that pressure just kind of adds to what people are already feeling. Why is it that Finland, Switzerland, all these Scandinavian countries, but other countries around the world seem to have less of this problem than we do? Or am I mistaken? And that's just perception. Um, You know, that's a good question, Steve. I honestly don't know the answer because Um, I will be completely honest and say that I've more seen, um, you know, I've more studied how American culture handles things. I do know that American culture, we just really struggle to, you know, live the American dream. We just want that. We all want to be happy, successful. Um, There's this pressure to always just achieve those things, but... Um, If you look around, I mean, you've got social media that reflects that, too. But if you look around, most people um, have been impacted by either loss or mental illness or something. And it's just hard to to really talk about that when you're in a room full of people that that don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about the good things that are happening and the happy things. I just think as a culture, that's how we've been trained. Well, a listener wants to know what to do about seasonal affective disorder. We'll get to that when we come back. But I want you now, what city are you in, Stephanie? Are you calling from Woodstock or somewhere else? I'm actually calling from McHenry, Illinois. Okay. So here's what I want. Look outside your window and you tell me if you see what I see. The sun! Yeah, I don't see the sun. It's pretty cloudy over here. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, But if you do see the sun, because we haven't in a very long time, the only day we could go out in the sun, I think, it was like 100,000 degrees below zero in the past two weeks or three weeks even. So is the SAD or seasonal affective disorder real? And can you do something about it? Which is what our listener wants to know. We'll answer that question and others when we come back on WGN, it's 117. Everything that Stephanie Strumberger is saying makes a lot of sense to me, licensed clinical counselor at Northwestern Medicine Woodstock Hospital. What is it you do, Stephanie, on a day-to-day basis? Ooh, that is a great question. My days are very different. Um, so to your point, so like you said before, I manage two different departments, uh, the crisis team 
that uh, runs out of the emergency departments in our Northwest region. Um, We assess patients who come in who are feeling um, hopeless, who are um, either at risk, basically anyone who's at risk of immediate harm to self or others. Um, We assess them in our region. And I also oversee the outpatient program, the intensive outpatient program for patients that require kind of a step down from an inpatient unit um, or if they're at risk of that level of care. So um, I love my job because it's a day-to-day. I, I never have two days that are the same, and that's what I love about it. Do you often get people who are reported to be at risk by people who note in social media that they said something or did something, like post this photo? Now, I'm not going to get the image right, I don't think. It's like one hand with one finger out and the other hand with the other finger in the other direction, I really don't know. But it's a sign that I'm going to commit suicide or some such thing. And it was reported, and this person's life was saved as a result. Does that kind of thing ever happen? Um, it depends. We get a lot of people who come in either voluntarily on their own, which is always the ideal situation, um, because that means they're ready to get help. Um, a lot of times we'll get people who come in um, because of a, a concerned loved one, um, had some text or maybe did find something on social media that concerns them. Um, so they come in through ambulance or, or with the family member, um, and we can get them help that way. If, if you are concerned about a family member or friend because of something you saw in social media, what do you do? do you, should you report it to someone else in the family? Do you call that person up and say, are you okay? Do you call medical professionals? Um, to be honest with you, my first thought is the best thing would be to talk to that person directly. Um, just try to talk to them and see how they're doing. I mean, it's scary because you run the risk that they're not going to be open and honest with you. Um, but at the same time, I think talking to them directly, most people, um, truly want help, I believe. And I think that, you know, giving them the opportunity to talk about what's going on with them, um, community and support is one of the biggest things we can do to reduce the stigma and mental health and just listening. Um, I, especially with adolescents, um, young adults, I think that a lot of them have said they just don't feel heard. Um, so I think listening to them and giving them an opportunity to talk. And if you're still concerned, then sometimes you do kind of have to be a little bit more forceful. They might be mad at you, but at the end of the day, um, it's more important that they're safe. Yeah. Why do you think it is that some professions, uh, law enforcement's been in the news recently, and I don't know if Chicago has a higher rate of suicide among police officers than other major cities or not. I honestly don't know. But I do know it's way too high. Uh, mm-hmm. other, other professions include some in the medical field, including dentists. Veterinarians are way up, way up on that list of suicides and also veterinary technicians. Why is it? And these are professional jobs, well-educated people. Why is it that those professions, do you think, are individuals in those professions are apparently so much at risk? Sure. So I think police departments, thats I'll call that the low-hanging fruit. I think, unfortunately, police officers, they are, uh, to your point, they're in, they're in the news right now. There's a lot going on. You referenced the Safety Act. Um, they're, they're under so much scrutiny and so much stress right now. Um, their very job is to keep us safe, but they are consistently exposed to trauma. 
um, and yet they have to get up and perform their duty and, and somehow try to find a way to live a life outside of being a police officer. Um, I have great respect for them, and I, I, you know, we partner with them quite a bit in the emergency department. And um, just to, I can't imagine seeing the things that they have to see on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I think the stress of their job the, and the exposure to their trauma is a big part of why um, that's so hard for them. Um, veterinarians, um, what I've seen a little bit, a little bit of the research I did, there's a lot of student debt that comes with being a veterinarian and then you're kind of, and then you're kind of thrown into this. And, and unfortunately we all know we have, most of us have health insurance and I know that there's health insurance you can get for animals, but a lot of people don't, or they can't, or they think my animal's fine. And then they bring an animal in who can't speak on behalf of themselves And so a lot of times people can't, you know, these animal owners can't afford surgeries. Um, So the dog ends up having to be put down and and the vet is the one who has to do that. Um, Yeah. I mean, human doctors, yeah. I mean, sorry, I I apologize for interrupting. Human doctors are not in the position of having to uh, put down people, you know. Hospice hospice is completely a different thing. And... uh, Veterinarians sometimes will do that multiple, multiple times a day. I want to ask you about seasonal affective disorder as well. Uh, sure. Is it is it real? Absolutely. Can you explain? Ex- explain why and why we should all move to Arizona tomorrow. <laughs> Great point. So seasonal affective disorder is an actual diagnosis in our the diagnostic manual that we use as counselors. Um, and psychiatrists and all of us use the same manual. Um, it's real because it's been studied and researched and found to be real. And it truly has to do with um, mostly exposure to the sun. Um, there's a lot to be said for um, the ability to get outside and just really, truly have that exposure to the vitamin D that comes from the sun. Um and, you know, when we live in the climate that we do in the Midwest, um, in summer, things start to get a little brighter in spring, summer, um, and then fall, winter hits, and we just get kind of in a funk. Not all of us, but those who are diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. Um, the difference between those of us who just get kind of ugh versus those who are actually diagnosed, the difference is it means it directly impacts their ability to live their life day to day. Hmm. So the question from 847 is, okay, if I think I have that, what do I do? Sure. So my first thought is, if anyone is thinking that they have it, the, the first thing they should do is uh, consult with their provider, whether that's your, you know, start with your primary care provider, um, reach out for help and, and see if you meet criteria with a uh, licensed professional counselor um, or, you know, just, just a professional to see if that's true. Um, there's a couple things that we can do in general during this season. Um, there's such a thing called light therapy. Um, you can go on Amazon and order all these different kinds of fun tools. Um, even if you just in the morning wake up and put this light on um, for, I think, even half an hour. But do these lights have detrimental effects? This isn't the same kind of like tanning light that can cause cancer, or is it? No, it's Nope, it's a totally different kind. It's, I mean, true, if you go tanning, it would give you the same impact, but it's not the same 
kind of uh, this particular light is not, you're not sitting under it per se. It almost looks like a desk lamp. You're kind of, but it, it has different, um, it has different um, technologies to it. But no, it doesn't, it doesn't expose you to, it doesn't increase your risk for cancer or anything like that. What about just taking, what is it, vitamin D? Um, so vitamin D, yeah. Again, I would always consult your provider to find out what the appropriate amount is. But research has shown that vitamin D does increase your mood, um, again, because we do get that from the sun. And to your point, when we don't see the sun for days and days and days, our, most of us in the Midwest, I think our vitamin D is pretty not in, not in great shape. You know, very quickly, because we're out of time here just about, but the, our listener, Mount Prospect, might have the best idea is even when there is no sun, take a walk outside. She walks in the woods, apparently. It's good therapy. It turns out walking amongst nature is good therapy, is it not? Absolutely. Getting outside is fantastic as long as it's safe to do so and it's not, you know, like it was that day when we had risk of uh, frostbite and all that. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. As much as you can get outside, absolutely do that. So from Northwestern Medicine Woodstock Hospital, Stephanie Strumberger, licensed clinical counselor. Thank you so very much for joining us. Great job. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.